Hi, this is Midwesteration, and I'm your host, Freya Bernson. In this episode, I traveled to Eagle Marsh Nature Preserve, located in Allen County, Indiana, right next to, basically within, Fort Wayne, Indiana. So, with that in mind, you will hear some sounds associated with an urban environment, because this is an urban wetland restoration. One of the borders of this preserve is actually an interstate highway, and not too far south of us is an international airport. So there is some highway sound. Uh, there is so the noise of uh, planes flying overhead here and there throughout this interview. But honestly, on site, those sounds can be completely forgotten when you are hiking around investigating the different habitats and uh, plant life and wildlife that make use of this preserve. It's a really neat place and totally, totally worth a visit if you ever have the chance to go. Um, I was honored to interview Betsy and Kowiak, uh, during for for this episode, and uh, she is the director of preserves and programs at Eagle Marsh, or well, for Little River Wetlands Project, the uh, nonprofit organization that oversees uh, preserves, including Eagle Marsh. And so, with that, I'd like to go ahead and get to my interview with Betsy. And uh, here we go. All right, I am standing at Eagle Marsh with Betsy and Koyak. And I am going to let her introduce herself. Um, Betsy, thank you so much for being here with me today and taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule uh, to, to be on this episode. Would you mind introducing yourself and uh, just kind of explaining who you are and uh, what, your, what your connection to this site is? Yeah, great. Well, Freya, thank you for inviting me to come talk about our efforts here at, at Eagle Marsh and the whole Little River Wetlands Project. Um, but I'm Betsy Ankowiak, uh, Director of Preserves and Programs here with Little River Wetlands Project, which is a non-for-profit organization working to restore um, an area that was once 25,000 acres um, that was called the Great Marsh. And we, um, Eagle Marsh, the site we're on right now, is definitely our largest site. And I've been working for the organization for 13 years, and uh, I'm currently kind of help facilitate the work that's done on the property for stewardship, uh, the education programs, the volunteer programs, and then new conservation projects. Awesome. So, just just a small piece of the, the yeah. puzzle there. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, okay. So this site is. Would, would be considered a, a total restoration site, right? Oh, yeah. So every area, so the original restoration, so we've added on to Eagle Marsh. I think we've probably up to nine or ten acquisitions on this property. But um, the original restoration and acquisition was 676 acres, of which 598 of those acres are enrolled into the Wetland Reserve Program with NRCS. And so those are the acres that had the, the federal dollars for restoration. But prior to that, all of those acres were in corn or soybeans. Yeah. So, yeah, so you're starting basically from, from scratch in a sense. 
there. Yeah, so when I first started restoration, I totally described, these are blank fields. <laughs> this is a blank canvas. Let's go and restore native plants. But what I didn't take into consideration was that the farmer suppressed all of those weeds <laughs> with significant herbicide input every year. And so when you remove that factor out of a, out of a site, then if you don't get in right away to start restoring, then a lot of those agricultural weeds and possibly invasive species can take hold. Yeah, yeah. And so, so you're starting from those blank canvases with just a little bit of extra help well, yeah no, it's not a blank canvas <laughs> I was just wrong I was just so wrong about that yeah. idea so so on that I guess um how like what were what were the first steps as far as approaching the the restoration to this site understanding that you had a lot to to deal with right from the get-go yeah, it's a great question. So I started about four months into the first phase of restoration here at Eagle Marsh. So I wasn't here for the acquisition or that initial conversation with the restoration committee on how the site was going to be developed. Um, but since Eagle Marsh is so complicated because of the urban setting, um, we had to do, NRCS had to conduct three different phases of restoration here which is not your typical um, typical thing. Usually you have one phase, you come in, you restore it, NRCS walks away and everything you know moves on. Uh, but Eagle Marsh was definitely more complicated. Uh, we definitely had to make sure, we had a lot of complications because half of Fort Wayne's electricity runs down the middle of our wetland restoration. Mm -hmm. um, our southern border is a railroad that does not want to get flooded out. Um, we are bordered on the west side by Interstate 69. Along our north edge, it's a suite of businesses, senior living, asthma centers, you know, a wastewater treatment plant, residential, um, recreational uses. And then on the east side, we're bordered with a landfill. And so we have a lot of different urban uh, infrastructure around us that that needed to be taken into account so it was definitely a more complicated site than a farm field out isolated from all of these other influences yeah no that is that's a uh, adds a lot of complication like complexity to to this whole project right absolutely <laughs> so yeah I, and it's interesting too because the the idea of of isolation because sometimes those rural restorations are are isolated because they're surrounded by more agriculture. But this place, how would you describe it as far as connectivity to other natural areas or versus isolation? Yeah, so Eagle Marsh, we're very lucky here. So in this, we kind of call them islands of conservation. So this island that, is, that Eagle Marsh is a part of, we're just like one small part. So we're currently up to 831 acres, but we are adjacent to Fox Island County Park. So they're just on the other side of the railroad tracks and they have um, over 600 acres in, in protection. Our neighbors, uh, the landfill has areas in protection, about another 160 acres. 
We have other mitigation sites uh, in the valley, just further, just you know, just on the other side of our mitigation site. That's part of this preserve. And then on the other side of that, we have another landowner that has 170 acres. So when you total up this entire area, it's over 1,800 acres in the city. It's like incredible. And so we are working um, really hard to, to continue to grow every acre that we can in this area because it's pretty amazing. And another thing is that, you know, we have our, our site here, but then as you move down towards the city of Huntington along the Little River, we have other islands of conservation too. So we have an island of conservation uh, at the small town of Aboit where we own property but then another landowner has about 200 acres in wetland restoration and a WRP site. Another landowner has a conservation easement and their land is protected. So there's almost a square mile there. Mm. And then you go further down to the city of Roanoke. So they're kind of like stepping stones all the way down this once area that was a, wet, a wetland. In, in Roanoke now, there we only have a small sliver of property down there, but you know, there's you know about 400 acres that's starting there and we hope to grow that area conservation in any way that we can. The thing that's different from us as a land trust compared to other land trusts is the word acquire is not in our mission statement. Our mission is to protect and restore wetlands in this area and provide educational opportunities. So we are providing educational opportunities for landowners to restore their own land. That's a really important piece for us too. Nice. No, that's that's awesome. And so species that would benefit from that kind of these these larger islands of conservation thinking like migratory birds and um what uh I know at least with with Eagle Marsh it's kind of a special place because of the water connectivity as well so um what what kinds of um habitat do you do you find you're providing for for some of the wildlife that that you've seen here yeah so you know another thing back to the the restoration and you know what the initial steps were obviously it was the hydrology and we had uh, Tony Fleming come in and say, you know, what is our water budget on this restoration site? We only have about 20 to 25 percent of the water available to us of what this historically was. So the plants that were thriving here when settlers came, there's not enough water for them now. So what can we do? How can we kind of get as close as we can? How can we provide as many benefits to wildlife that we can. I mean that, so our restoration has to take in all of those factors. One of the reasons why we don't have the water budget is because of the ditching and draining that drained the marsh in the late 1800s. Um, the fact that we have a gravel pit about a mile away, actually a number of active gravel pits, that we have records that show they can draw up to 700 million gallons of groundwater a year. And so if you're drawing down that groundwater and then you're not allowing the surface water to enter the marsh because it's going through ditches, then we're really down with our, with our hydrology. So that being said, we took into account what we could do. We have over, in the initial restoration, we planted over 45,000 trees and shrubs. 
Most of those were oak trees to restore the, the hardwood forests. And um, I would say, I can't remember if it's like 100 or 150 acres, was in Tallgrass Prairie, which we are very east for Tallgrass Prairie, but that was a habitat that w in, in Indiana that was, in, you know, obviously devastated during settlement. And so this is our little part to be able to try to bring back some of those plants. And we have birds mm -hmm. that you don't expect on the east side of the state using our site. So, you know, these birds are needing those, um, those habitats as well. And then, um, so we have forest, our tall grass prairie, and then the rest we tried, you know, sedge meadow uh, area that hasn't really kind of came to fruition like we anticipated, and wet marshy habitat. We have a lot of marshy habitat. Nice. All right. And, yeah, so as far as um, maintaining the habitat that that has been established so far through through your efforts what are some of the uh, strategies that you currently employ to to protect what you have so far so right now we're standing next to your oak planting here your little short yeah. guys that are are how old are these? This, this, this one was planted 2009. Okay. So it's about, I don't know, is that 15 or 20 foot tall? Yeah, yeah, and they're they're beautiful and they look just <laughs> so happy and just growing beautifully. And um, and then adjacent to us, um, we have open water, marshland filled with a variety of, of emergent plants and, um, and off in the distance, prairie type plants and that sedge meadow habitat that you're talking about so what um what are some of your uh what's what's some of the work that you do to, to the management strategies yeah. yeah so our management strategies are you know invasive species removals probably are our our main focus i mean that that's where we spend the bulk of our energy and resources and staff time and when we can get volunteers to help as well. Um, and so, yeah, so we, you know, we have our work plan scheduled already for next year. And, you know, it says here are the areas that we're going to highlight. You want, uh, where we're going to highlight um, where, because, A, we've already spent a lot of restoration dollars in these sites. So we want to go back in and make sure that we're keeping up with the reed canary grass, the cattails. Um, which are two, those are our two uh, species that kind of have a, a big invasion, kind of a carpeted invasion. Um, Phragmites, you know, we are really proud of the work we've done with our Phragmites. Um, we had, you know, thousands of plants killed by herbicide probably about 10 years ago in our restoration, you know, every day, you know, for about six weeks. Like it used to take our stewards six weeks to manage our Phragmites. Um, and then now it literally, it's whack-a-mole. So we might have five stems that popped up here or 20 over there. But, yeah, so we just go in and it's just take care of these small populations every year. So, it, it you know, we're talking a couple days now. Mm -hmm. um, so we're really proud of that. Um, as an urban site, uh, we are blessed with the flowering pear tree <laughs> that has... Uh, 
totally taken us by surprise. Well, this has been probably about, I think it was 2010, after uh, George Manning actually pointed out that we had a pear invasion. And we were like, what is this tree? And it has thorns, so you can't just, like, pile it in one place and not think you're going to pop tires. Yeah. Like, four years later, if you drive yes. through the site, yeah. like, you have to be really careful with this tree. Um, but, yeah, in 2010, we we started actively managing that invasive at Eagle Marsh. And in that first year, we had 1,200 volunteer hours, and we were only able to clear about 16 acres. Oh. And we have 800 acres. Mm -hmm. So that is a constant struggle. Like right now in the fall, uh, driving around and, and walking around our sites, it's like that one, that one, that one, because the one that we're mostly focused on that is just cutting down the ones that are bearing seeds. So that's where our efforts are. So we have tons of small seedlings throughout all of our restorations. Uh, we try to manage those with fire, uh, knowing that the fire is not going to kill them, but knowing that at least we can slow down the seed production because uh, we are infested for sure uh, with that one. Um, and then we have like poison hemlock, Japanese knotweed, just small populations that, that, we, that we keep an eye on, and basically, and canda thistle. Yeah, like, of course. <laughs> the ubiquitous, like if you like pull back any of the prairie plants you know they're they're there maybe they're not going to seed but you know they're they're still they're still on our site in, in many places yeah so so just you know a, a couple things right yeah, yeah just, <laughs> takes us all year to deal with it and we know that what we don't get this year it's going to be waiting for us next year right yeah and it's when you drive in here, so the site, the specific area we're standing at is near your pole barn, which it functions as a, a multiple use facility for events and education and stewardship and just whatever you need to do. So that's pretty neat. Um, and driving up the road to that barn, you're driving through beautiful. Um, trying to <laughs> right right now everything's the nest and very very brown but it's still <laughs> gorgeous goldenrods and sulfiums and ironweed and the um hibiscus um or marshmallow yes and uh so looking at that as you're driving in it looks like you you don't even need to work on it. Ah. <laughs> well, let me show you some of my other sites. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so we so we initiated the Seed to Marsh program, and the Seed to Marsh program marries the the restoration part of our mission with our education part of our mission, and so we have directly linked what our stewardship efforts are to what we do with student groups and nurseries in our area that um, help us gather seeds, clean seeds, plant seeds, grow plants, put the plants in the ground. And so we have now coordinated, if we go in and spray an area, we now have seedlings to go into that spot. Nice. And so we are, we are taking chunks as we can. And since these areas are close to the barn, little legs, it's really easy to get to these places. So I would imagine it's gonna be kind of a, uh, uh, an expansion from the pole barn because you know you can only get kids to walk so far during a field yeah. trip um, 
but that is something that's really starting to, to coalesce. We had big visions for 2020, but uh, we, uh, we'll wait for 2021. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, with time. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So, but thank you for that compliment because, you know, something else that, um, you know, the things you don't know, we have areas on our site now that were not restored, you know, like along maybe some of our ditch banks the farmer had or, you know, for whatever reason or under the power lines that weren't part of the original uh, restoration with WRP. So there's areas that didn't get any management or seeding. The reed canary grass, which is what the farmer planted mm -hmm. on purpose, um, we are now seeing the swamp mallow invading and we see ironweed invading these reed canary populations. And so all of a sudden I was just out with Don, who's our preserve steward, and I was like, Don, I was like, did we ever plant stuff here? And he just looked and he was like, no. And it's just, I wouldn't, I mean, it's still reed canary grass, but all of these natives are starting to fight back. Um, and so giving them the opportunity to just kind of do that invasion themselves, I guess, a little bit. It's uh, It's been really heartening to see that the species that we've planted here are kind of starting to take it on. Yeah. No, that's amazing. Yeah. Because you, you look at a reed canary stand, and it just looks impenetrable. And so to hear that they're actually fighting their way in there, and this site is, is really cool. And then and then this, this water's edge right here... Um, at the old irrigation pond from farming, we have one of our founding board members, his name is Sam Schwartz. He has come in for years, uh, maybe maybe even 10 years now, and he has his little hedge clippers, and he comes in and he clips his reed canary grass back, and he has planted all of this diversity along this edge. And so there's, I mean, I don't even know how many species he has in here now, but I mean, there's senna, and there's the the swamp mallow, there's the milkweeds, the swamp milkweed, different types of sedges. He did put in cattails, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> well, it, they're, but they're kind of staying in one spot, so I don't know if he, like, found some wide leaf ones or what, but, um, so, and different types of sedges, and so... And then he flags them, and so he knows what not to cut. And, mm -hmm. and so, yeah, so this is kind of his, his native plant garden, basically. Awesome. Um, and so it kind of shows us that there is hope if you want to, um, if you want to, you know, have volunteers slowly attack one area, they really can make a difference. Yeah. Hey, how's it going? Good morning. Hello. Good morning. <laughs> Do you remember yeah. Freya? Hey. It's hard to see people with masks on. <laughs> yeah. How are you? Good, yeah. good. Just to interject here, Eagle Marsh is uh, quite a popular destination for hikers, um, birders, uh, people looking for wildflowers, all manner of, of folk who want to get outside. And it, it's, it's a great place to, to visit. So it was wonderful to see a couple friendly faces and say hello. One thing about Eagle Marsh is that we have, so we had a, a opportunity with the city of Fort Wayne. They put a trail counter on our Continental Divide Trail oh. that runs through the property. And in April 2018 and April 2019, we had like about 800 trail users that month. Wow. This one <laughs> was over 2,000, 2,400 
wow. hikers on that trail. And so we get so much traffic here at Eagle Marsh. And with the pandemic, we, we just, we've seen exponential growth. It's hard to find a parking spot, you know, all of those different components. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. And yeah. So, so with that, have, um, what, have you seen any changes in, in anything as far as, uh, trail um, impacts or are, are people being uh, pretty pretty conscientious about their 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 visits here I feel like yeah if you're gonna take the time to come out I feel like you know the the folks that come out care yeah um, we uh, we've had some trail work done on that Continental Divide trail uh, so we have had a little bit of issues trying to keep people out of the the construction site. Yeah. And right now I'm trying to grow grass. <laughs> and so uh, where you can't have any traffic. Oh. So that has yeah. led to, you know, 2,400 people loving this trail to now, like, yeah. not having it. So we adjusted. And as part of our burn lanes, uh, we have a burn lane that runs along the edge of or at the bottom of the slope of the berm, the Continental Divide. So we just detoured the trail. Oh, nice. And so that's, you know, we did our, our burn lanes for the fall. <laughs> you know, we got trail use now. So it's uh, it's all about listening because that was uh, something that one of our staff members suggested. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, yeah, let's go do it. Like, makes sense. Do it. Yeah. I'm trying to, trying to keep the public happy as well. Yeah. And you know, on on those two notes, um, fire is like a critical portion of of restoration work, especially on a site like this. You have numerous habitats that are fire dependent, but you're also in an urban setting. And uh, how um, what what kind of challenges and what what kind of message would you like to share with people about um, the importance of fire and just how actually like safe it can be when when it's done properly? Oh yeah, I mean I don't know what the statistics are and how many hundreds of thousands, maybe over a million acres are burned annually in a safe and controlled way through all of these different habitats. And so learning how to have these fire-dependent systems, but also how to create areas where they can't just run rampant. Here at Eagle Marsh, we definitely have challenges um, because we have the hospitals less than a mile away, Mm -hmm. and they have a helicopter. The airport, I think, is like two miles away, two or three miles away. And so, you know, you have air traffic right within this area so that's something that when you go, you know you got to always make your phone calls and put on everyone's radar what's happening out at the marsh um and then you know we call all of our neighbors along the north edge of eagle marsh uh, we actually have volunteers come and help sometimes with that <laughs> too um and so the first time well yeah i could tell stories all day long but um but yeah, so we notify everyone, and then we also take two more or a number of steps. So we, uh, it's my job to reach out to our television stations and our radio stations, and we let them know. 
because the more that people know that we're burning at Eagle Marsh today, mm -hmm. the less likely, hopefully, people will call it in. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, like, because it's really good to, you know, if you see smoke, call it in. I don't want to dissuade. So the more that we're able to get the word out it's on purpose, then the, the fire department gets less phone calls. Yeah, yeah. And sure. uh, we have great relationships with all of our law enforcement out here from the conservation officers to the Fort Wayne Fire Department and also the Aboit Fire Department and the Fort Wayne Police Department and the Sheriff's Department in Allen County. So we have multiple partners that are interested in multiple areas of our property. Nice. Very nice. Um, but fire is, is essential to managing, like I was mentioning with the pear trees, you know, we're trying to keep that at a zero seed, you know, population. So eventually those seedlings will just die out and the seedlings after that will die out. We just don't have any more inputs. But it's really hard when the neighbors around our sites are planting fresh pear trees. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, so education is another really important part of the invasive species, you know, removal is that education. Awesome. Oh, that's awesome. And I mean, just in in addition to like having the fire department and the hospital and numerous neighbors and the highway and the railroad. Yeah, you're still able to maintain a regular fire schedule for for this site. And yes. so it's just despite those challenges. I know uh, every every burn has its challenges, but just the fact that you can do that is is pretty cool oh yeah and let, let's not forget about the uh, ginormous electric towers oh, yeah. and <laughs> half of fort wayne's electricity <laughs> that's probably the the electricity component on our property is probably the most the highest risk that we have on uh -huh. site that is you know you can't get too close of the arcing um, that's half of fort wayne's electricity that runs hospital you know that's the hospital backup electricity that's general motors factory backup electricity like we can't like that that is something that we take extremely seriously uh so we 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 have our areas that we burn and we don't burn all of our areas mm -hmm. because we won't get close to those towers mm -hmm. awesome yeah so so with all everything that we've talked about and uh just how how much work you put into this site and and the staff of Little River and the volunteers and everyone involved just from from a personal standpoint what what is restoration to you what does that mean to you I mean, it mean restoration is a word that just has kind of always been entwined in my life you know whether whether it's you know the restoration of my soul you know getting out and just relaxing with friends you know or in in this sense the ecological restoration I mean it takes a lot of heart it takes a lot of spirit it takes a lot of energy initiative um, and and so all of those efforts and then when you go into a site and it's you know invasives and you're just spraying it like you've done for who knows how long that season and then you come back and you see the results of that and you know that you've done good you know the time I think the time that we have now 
I can't imagine my spending, me spending my time any other way than trying to bring back these habitats for wildlife and trying to bring back habitats for clean water, flood storage, and for biodiversity. There's never a day when I wake up and I'm like, do you think I'm spending my time wisely today? No, like this, this is it, you know. Uh, the more that we can activate restoration in our communities, whether it's a small garden, uh, in a schoolyard, along a small stream, you know, anywhere, everywhere, plant milkweeds, like let's bring back the habitat of what used to be here. And, you know, restoration sites like this are really great because it is able to serve so many species that need larger, larger chunks. Um, but I think the spirit is that we want everyone to be involved and everybody can do their part no matter how small. Yeah, that's nice. And so, so if you were to offer some advice to other folks in in the field of ecological restoration, or someone who's just learning about it today, um, what what do you think is the most important thing that you've learned on your journey in this in this field? It takes a village. You know, you, and there's a village out near you. Whether or not you know that these organizations exist or this kind of work is being done, it, this work is being done on federal lands, state lands, uh, by land trusts, by city parks, county parks. There is somebody close to you doing this restoration work, and they have acres and acres that they need help with invasive species removal. So go out there if you can and volunteer. And that volunteer could be running a chainsaw or pulling weeds or planting plants or gathering seeds or it might be making phone calls. I mean, you don't know how how your skills and what you're able to do can really help out organizations that are doing this kind of work. And I think it's also a, a shift in paradigm. You know, a lot of like the flowering pear trees, you know, the reason why you buy flowering pear trees is because you don't have any insect damage. So you know that tree's gonna look good. <laughs> but without having that insect damage, that means it's not serving anything. It's not serving any part of the ecosystem that we live in. So changing that and helping people pick plants that will actually serve not only beauty in your garden, but also feed the wildlife or the pollinators that belong here. Um, and, and I think that, uh, that anybody can be involved. And I think just finding those places and volunteering, and if you want to go actually into this line of work, gaining that experience by volunteering, you will already have that on your resume if you do want to go and try to secure a job. And it is, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, there are not a lot of um, educational degrees. I know that, Freya, you were able to find one, which mm -hmm. is amazing, at <laughs> Colorado State University uh, in ecological restoration. But it is not, it's not an easy degree to get, mm -hmm. you know. So experience can really help out in that way. Oh, definitely. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. Well, Betsy, I want to thank you again for for taking time to talk to me today in on site at Eagle Marsh on this cold October morning.
but it's not that bad. The sun's out. It's gorgeous. There's still things to come look at. So this was this was wonderful, and just thank you so much. Yeah. And uh, is there anything else you'd like to say? Um, well, I think so. I think one thing that makes Eagle Marsh and this project so important is because of the geology. You know, this this once vast wetland that stretched down US 24 all the way to the city of Huntington from Fort Wayne, you know, that connects right to the Wabash River in Huntington. And then Eagle Marsh and just here in Fort Wayne, this connects out to the Maumee River and Lake Erie. So every acre that we restore in this valley, we are restoring and helping to restore that flyway that directly connects the Wabash River with Lake Erie. And I think that seeing it as a big landscape restoration, like the big vision of the 25,000 acres, is really important because if we're able to chip away and continue to add restoration sites to this area, it's only going to further help the migratory birds and the other wildlife that need larger areas of restoration. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's not not standalone here. We're definitely not we're part isolated. of a <laughs> much bigger picture. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yay. I just want to say again, huge thank you to Betsy for taking the time to speak with me about Eagle Marsh Nature Preserve. And um, I will be including some additional information about this episode on the website midwestoration.com um, so you can check out Little River Wetland Project's website, um, see some of their other preserves, find out how you might visit or even get involved. Um, it's a great place and uh, I want to thank you for tuning in and listening and I've got some more awesome interviews coming up soon. So um, I hope to uh, have you back to, to check out some more um, restored ecological restoration sites. And uh, yeah, thank you.